Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. It's great to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. I love our series of Ephesians. You enjoying it so far? Yeah, no, that was really underwhelming. (laughs) Three of you are enjoying it. Uh, That's one for each week so far. That's good. Uh, Pastor, I've launched a series uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, if you haven't got any of these messages, you can order the CD at the iConnect desk or you can jump onto the Bayside Church website and, uh, and go to media and Frank's the message of the week. Uh, and you'll also find message notes there for the, for the messages each week. You can download, you can type in your notes uh, and then you can email them to yourself so you've got them for reference, you can print them out. Uh, so Pastor Rob kicked it off a couple of weeks ago uh, with a message titled Every Spiritual Blessing. And uh, he covered off uh, four main areas, chosen to be holy and blameless. God has chosen you to be holy and blameless and that he predestined you to be adopted. Now, God has predestined us. Isn't that an interesting thought? And for those of you that want to find out more about what predestination means in a biblical sense, then uh, then you can get hold of that message and just uh, use that as a bit of a starter on the whole topic of predestination. Also, that God has uh, given grace uh, freely to us uh, through Christ and that we've been sealed and given an inheritance through the giving of the Holy Spirit. So those things were covered in Pastor Rob's message uh, two weeks ago. Last week, Nathan McMillan spoke. His first time preaching on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. Didn't he do a great job? Loved it. He gets to, of course, uh, have a go with the youth on Friday nights, but uh, first time in church on Sunday, and he did uh, great. He did actually even better than me with a whiteboard. You'll be pleased to know. I'm hopeless with whiteboards. He did a good job. And, uh, and his message was called Nature Renewed, and that looked at chapter 2 of Ephesians. And it looked at the division between God's people. You know, when the gospel came, it, it was really revolutionary to the Jews. We look at it now in hindsight with 2,000 years of, of understanding, and we think, what was the big deal? But to the Jews at the time, the fact that the gospel was coming to the Gentiles was a revelation. And, uh, and, and Paul addresses that. In chapter 2, he said there's, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. He said uh, that uh, there's no distinction between race or religion, being Jew, Gentile, gender, economic barriers, all have been removed in Jesus. Also, it's important to note that there was no Collingwood or Carlton, no Hawthorne, Geelong, no Wallabies and All Blacks, or maybe the Springboks for all of our South African uh, church members this morning. Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Collingwood or Carlton, Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Isn't that good? There is reconciliation in the body of Christ this morning. That's great. But before we get into chapter 3, I just wanted to to recap a little bit about Ephesus as a city because it was a, a fairly major city of the day. It was based in what is modern-day Turkey, the Roman province of Asia Minor, and it was a large city. It was placed right, uh, right smack bang in the middle of some big trade routes that went between Rome and uh, the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. And as a result of it, it was very prosperous. And girls, you'll also know it was good for shopping because it got the best of the East and the best of Europe and it all combined in the city of Ephesus. So if you wanted to go shopping in those days, you'd take a day out and go to Ephesus. Uh, Like we say, London, Paris, New York, Tokyo, perhaps Shanghai, uh, Ephesus was one of the leading cities of the Roman Empire. So you might have said in those days, Rome, Corinth, Antioch, Alexandria and Ephesus. Uh, It also had a huge harbour 
which meant that lots of ships, not just people coming by land, but lots of ships would, uh, would dock in the port there. And one of the big uh, identifiers of that harbour was a, a huge statue of the goddess Diana, or Artemis in Greek, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, of course, now no longer there. When Paul first visited Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 18, and you can read up on what happened uh, through his ministry there in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19, and it was on his second missionary journey in about 50 AD. So that gives you some sort of picture of the time after Christ. Jesus died somewhere around that 33 AD, about 17 years later. Uh, Paul was was starting his uh, his ministry in Ephesus. And uh, travelling back to Antioch, he left Priscilla and Aquila there. So Paul moved on, but Priscilla and Aquila stayed for a little while. And then in Acts chapter 19, Paul returns and we read about his travels there. And we know he was successful because the Bible tells us that the city was pretty much transformed by the preaching of the gospel. In fact, all of the silversmiths of the day uh, we're getting cranky with Paul, are upset with him because he was persuading everyone in that region to turn away from their idols and to, uh, to worship Jesus. And so these silversmiths had lots of idols. They had overdue stock, obsolete stock sitting on their shelves, all of these silver idols not being sold anymore. And they were, they were uh, doing it tough. There was a recession in the idol world of those days. And, uh, and Paul was to blame. So they, uh, they uh, got together, banded together and created a riot in the city of Ephesus to try and drive Paul out. Uh, in fact, they say that there were about 25,000 people gathering at the theatre, rioting uh, about Paul. That's not bad. Is it 25,000 seats in a time like that? That's about Hillsong, I think. So they had a Hillsong get together to try and drive Paul out. Uh, the, the church was, was huge in that city. And uh, it was about 60 AD uh, that Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians while he was imprisoned in Rome. And you can imagine after having invested so much of his life into that city that he would be concerned that they would continue on in the gospel. It's also an unusual letter because it doesn't address any specific problem. You'll read Galatians and, and 1 and 2 Corinthians and many of those letters address particular issues in the church where Paul needed to correct something that was happening. But for the, for the church at Ephesus, he didn't need to do that. They were, they were going well and he wanted to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. So today we're going to uh, look at Ephesians chapter 3 and the title of the message is called Mystery Revealed. And I love a good mystery. Am I in good company this morning? Do we have anyone who reads crime books and watches murder mysteries on TV? I like Agatha Christie novels. I read heaps of them growing up as a teenager. Couldn't, uh, couldn't put them down. Um, we also like playing Cluedo as a family. And, of course, what's the, what's the deal with Cluedo? The butler did it, right, in the kitchen. That's always the answer, the butler in the kitchen. Um, I love Midsummer Murders. Anyone watch Midsummer Murders? Pretty grisly TV show. If I think about the amount of murders that happen in Midsummer, that would have to be the most violent place on earth. But it's always good trying to figure out who did it. Of course, there are other mysteries in life, such as algebra and calculus. Who can figure them out? And also our wives, for all of you guys. They are a big mystery in life, aren't they? And of course, all of you wives are saying, no, my husband is a mystery. Let me solve that mystery for you. Food. Food solves the husband mystery. Easy one. Okay, so let's get into our word this morning. Before we do, let's pray and commit our time to him. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to get together uh, around your holy scriptures this morning, Father. We pray that as we read them, uh, your word would come alive to us that it would jump off the page and be lodged deep within our heart. I pray, Lord, that you'd illuminate our minds, that we might see clearly your intention for us as your people. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Okay, Paul says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, that it was given to me for you. Administration's an interesting word. Who would have thought that uh, Paul would link administration and grace? But the word is oikonomia, uh, and uh, it's a business term to do with the efficient running of a household. So here's Paul saying that the administration of God's grace is like running a household efficiently. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I suppose it's true in some ways, isn't it? I mean, when we think about the household of faith we have here at Frankston, we think about the administration of God's grace. We saw some of God's grace at work this morning in our worship team. And Steve, where are you, Steve? Over there, hiding, beautifully done. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. We see the administration of God's grace in our helps team and in our kids' ministry, and, uh, and in the preaching of the word. We see the administration of God's grace in the facilities that we meet in. We see all of this as we administer, hopefully, efficiently, the running of God's household in this place. Uh, and I, I did overhear a, a frustrated parents once say, tired of being harassed by your stupid parents, to teenagers, of course, act now, move out, get a job, and pay your own bills. Do it while you still know everything. If you live in a very efficiently managed household, teenagers, you might be experiencing that frustration, but you have the solution within your grasp. We administer God's grace in God's household by teaching, uh, by our gracious behaviour also, by the way we act with one another, because God has, has uh, placed grace within each one of us. And when we act graciously and behave graciously, we're demonstrating that uh, in our language. And of course, as I've said, also in our service, our worship. Also, tonight we'll be administering God's grace. We've put on a present service or a refresh service where people can come and be prayed for and just bask in the presence of God and allow the, the saturating power of God's presence to come and bring healing and restoration and favour and provision. In verse 3, Paul continues on. He says, That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs. It's much better to be an heir than a hare. As I always say when I read that, I always think hares, much better to be an heir than a hare, together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable past, uh, unsearchable, sorry, meaning past finding out, riches or abundance of Christ. And I often read that verse or those verses and think of Paul and how uh, the humility in which he's saying that. He's saying things like, uh, although I am less than the least of all God's people, and as a new believer I would read that and I would think, how could that be so? Because Paul planted the New Testament church essentially throughout the Roman world and achieved incredible things for the gospel. And yet here he says here, uh, although I am less than the least of all God's people. And as I studied the life of Paul, I, I came to realise that Paul was a very conflicted person because Paul in his early days was zealous for the things of God. He was about the same age as Jesus. 
And so each, uh, each year he would go to Jerusalem for the festivals and the feasts, just like Jesus would. And he would have known Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi of the day. Uh, and uh, as we know, he was involved from the age of 12 in temple life in rabbi training. And so would have Paul have been. And he would have known Jesus. And, and Paul would have known that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. So when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, that would have been highly offensive to Paul. And so Paul and his Jewish zeal would have acted uh, quickly to try and stamp out this cult is how he would have viewed it. And in doing so, he murdered many. Stephen, we see, he, uh, he was responsible for the stoning of Stephen. Others he would have had have taken, uh, taken off to prison. And now Paul goes around to many of the synagogues where those people that he persecuted, he would have to eyeball. So he rolls up to the synagogue to proclaim the gospel and he's eyeballing people who are relatives of those that he's persecuted, of those he's taken off in chains, of those perhaps that he's murdered. And so Paul is this incredibly conflicted individual and when he writes this, you can understand, he says, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Because someone who achieves so much, God gives a point of humility. And I think that's quite powerful. Uh, this grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I love that last verse. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do we go into our prayer rooms? at home when, we, when we're spending time with God and just have that, that incredible sense of freedom and confidence as we come into his presence. Because there's one thing the devil will do in each of our lives. He will try and bind us up in some way so that we are restricted in our thinking from coming into the presence of God with freedom and confidence. That's why guilt is such a, a powerful enemy which we need to nail to the cross. You know, when we fall short of the mark as believers, as followers of Christ, the devil will try and use that as a wedge to keep you out of the presence of God, out of the throne room. And we need to recognize that quickly and we need to nail that to the cross and we need to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. Sometimes I miss it. But I'm not going to let that stop me from asking for forgiveness and coming into the presence of God. Amen? Can I encourage you not to let the devil keep you out of the presence of God because of guilt? Verse 3 speaks of the mystery. The mystery revealed, and that's the title for today's message. Mysterion is the Greek word, and it means to shut the mouth, to keep a secret. And even through, all, through the Old Testament, the scriptures and the prophets as we read them are silent about some things of what God was going to do, and that's why it was a mystery. You see, in Jewish theology, they missed the suffering servant. Even though it was written in Isaiah and so many other places, they missed it. They were waiting for a conquering king to return. It was like they were standing on one mountaintop looking at the other mountaintop and couldn't see what was in the middle, a valley in the middle. And they missed the suffering servant of Jesus who needed to die. So it was hidden from them in part. And then through Jesus, the mystery was revealed. And Paul writes about it through the revelation that he received through Christ. It was like in the Old Testament, if we had have seen those those nasty three words that often you see in your favourite TV show, to be continued. 
It's like at the end of the Old Testament, there was a to be continued and you had to wait. In, in Israel's case, 400 years, they had to wait until Jesus came and, uh, and the mystery was revealed through him. I uh, first came across to be continued and I'm showing my age now, I know, in a show called Happy Days. Does anyone remember that show, Happy Days? All of you oldies, yeah, you remember Happy Days. And I'd never come across it to be continued until I watched Happy Days. And I remember getting to the end of the show and just seeing those words and feeling incredibly let down. I didn't know whether Fonzie was going to get the girl. I didn't know whether Richie was going to get out of trouble, let alone Ralph and Potsy. But, uh, but these words have been fulfilled in Christ. He tells the full story. The mystery made known by revelation, apocalypsis which means to turn the light on, to lift a veil. It's a disclosure of knowing. We, we, we often uh, associate apocalypse with war, with the book of Revelation, but really what it is, it's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so we associate revelation uh, or apocalypsis with, with war. But actually it means revelation, to lift the lid. And uh, an image that comes to mind is, is of uh, perhaps a luxury cruise liner where you have everyone in their bow ties. I was watching a show just recently that was, that was back in, sort of harking back to the 1920s and uh, everyone's in first class with their, their white bow ties on and tails looking very formal and the butler brings out the dinner and, you know, the guests can smell the dinner coming. You can smell it on the way out. They bring the trolleys out and then they pick up the plate with the silver lid, you know, the big silver lid, the silver service, and you don't know what's under the lid, but it smells so good. And they put it on the table and then all of a sudden the lid is lifted off and you get to see what's for dinner. Well, that's what's happened here in Christ. The mystery has been revealed. In the Old Testament, you sort of got a, got a smell, you got a flavour of what was to come, but you couldn't really see it. And then in Christ, it's like the lid has been lifted off and you can see the feast that is set before us in Christ, that wonderful mystery of Christ revealed. God illustrated this too when Christ died, that the the veil in the temple was torn in two and people could finally see into the Holy of Holies, that mystery that existed beyond the veil that only the high priest could see, only the high priest could experience, was now made open to all. That veil was torn and the mystery was revealed. Uh, the, the word sort of gives, uh, gives a sense of shining a light on. And, and, uh, and have you ever got up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet and you don't want to turn the lights on to, you know, to, to wake everyone else up and, uh, and you bang into the wall? It's like the little torch on your iPhone. That's, that's what this word is talking about, that, that, you know, that, that, that guides you on your path without, without bump and without incident. Um, the other night I was, uh, I was looking for a mouse in Madison's room, Thursday night. I remember it well. She comes down screaming, Dad, 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 there's a mouse in my room. I think, what do you want me to do about it? I'm not going to catch a mouse. But anyway, that's what I thought. I didn't say that. So, right, okay, let's get up there. And Madison's room, for those of you that know it, has more corners. In fact, actually, let, let me explain the room. She's not here this morning, so please forgive me. Her room is a combination of cupboards, uh, bed, toys and clothes. And they all occupy the floor in about equal measure. Clothes, toys, uh, bookcases, cupboards and a bed. There are so many corners for a mouse to hide in that room. If I was a mouse, I would go to her room. I would live there. That would just be paradise for me. I could live there for a decade and not be found. So Madison comes to me, Dad, 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 there's a mouse in my room. I'm thinking, I've got no chance of finding this mouse. It's hiding. It's there. So anyway, now she blames me. 
for taking all of the clothes off the floor and putting them on her bed so I could find the mouse. And she can't sleep in her bed now because there's clothes and toys all over it. But anyway, we didn't find the mouse. The mystery has not been revealed. But it will be, I hope, very soon. <laughs> a mystery of the mouse. So, torches, height, you know, looking behind corners and things, trying to reveal a mystery. We were unsuccessful, but in Christ we are more successful at finding the mystery. Verse 9, to make plain by shining a light on it to everyone, the administration of the mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And four things have been revealed in the New Testament, and we're going to look at those now. The first one is the mystery of immortality. The Jews didn't get it. In fact, they had a number of Jewish sects at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees thought that there was no spiritual life. There was no existence outside of this earthly life. That's why they were sad, you see. I was, no, yes, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. There was no, no hope of an afterlife for the Sadducees. But the mystery of immortality had been revealed through Christ, that there was going to be a resurrection, that all believers in Jesus would receive a new body and that we live forever. The mystery of the Old Testament, Jesus took the lid off that to show us the new. The second mystery that was revealed is the mystery of identity that believers in Jesus are one in spirit with him like a husband and wife are one flesh. You can read Ephesians chapter 5 and later on uh, in the year we're going to have relationship seminars which are going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 in more detail. But that mystery of, identif of identity uh, was a mystery in the Old Testament but in the New Testament that lid has been removed. The mystery of the incarnation, that God's plan from the beginning was for Christ to become human in order to bring salvation to everyone, the incarnation, coming from the Latin word carne, or where we get carnivore from. Uh, so chili con carne, chili with flesh, Jesus incarnate. Flesh has come to dwell amongst us, a powerful truth. And the fourth mystery that's revealed is the mystery of inclusion, that the Gentiles are now partakers with the Jews of the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. And I think it's quite amazing that, that in the, the New Testament it was Peter who was a leader in the early church that God revealed this to in the time that he was ministering to Cornelius. God reveals to Peter that, that uh, it was okay to rise and eat unclean food and it was symbolic of what God was doing with the Gentiles. The Jews had considered the Gentiles to be unclean and uh, someone not to associate with and yet here God is telling Peter, a leader in the church, that it's okay that he's moving amongst them and Peter goes to visit Cornelius and all of a sudden he sees the Holy Spirit fall on the household of Cornelius. They get baptised in the Holy Spirit, they prophesy, they speak in tongues and it's very clear to Peter that God is moving in the lives of Gentiles and so it's hard for him to reject. And so this mystery has been revealed through God pouring out his spirit uh, on the Gentile population at the time and you can read more about that, of course, in the book of Acts. Ephesians 3.6 says this mystery... Is that, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. And the word that is used for Gentiles there is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic from, ethnic groups. We might have 196 nations around the world, but there are over 5,000 ethnic groups. And one of the challenges that Bible scholars have is to try and translate the Bible into enough languages for all 5,000 ethnic groups to understand the Scriptures. And we know that uh, the Bible says that when the gospel has been preached in all the earth, the end will come and the Lord will return. So Bible scholars are working very hard to translate the scriptures 
uh, into all of those languages. We have at Bayside Church as a whole about 62 different nationalities. And if I was to uh, look around here, I would uh, be able to count quite a number uh, of nationalities, maybe a dozen or two dozen, perhaps even just within our midst this morning. And I think that's a powerful symbol that God reconciles people of all races and ethnic groups together. Theologian Albert Barnes puts it this way. He says, Christianity has no hidden truths for a part only of its friends. It has no reserved doctrines. It has no truths to be entrusted only to a sacred priesthood. Its doctrines are to be published to the wide world and every follower of Christ is to be a partaker of all the benefits of the truths which Christ has revealed. Don't you love that? Every follower of Christ is to be a partaker of all the benefits of the truths which Christ has revealed. I love it. Christ has put a smorgasbord before us and he's saying, here it is. I've taken the lid off. It's time to eat. And in, uh, in this era of the New Testament, we can uh, enjoy the promises and blessings and favour of God freely and with confidence. And then Paul prays, the second part of chapter 3, that this revelation of what Christ has done, that uh, the revelation of that mystery, it becomes transforming in each of our lives. And he does that through verses 14 to 21. And when we dwell in this truth, nothing is impossible, as we sang this morning. So I'm just going to ask you this morning to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to pray this passage of Scripture over you. For this reason, Paul said, I kneel before the Father. Great attitude of humility, great attitude of worship, kneeling before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Number of powerful truths in Paul's prayer for the church. He prays that out of his glorious riches, out of Christ's glorious riches, we may be strengthened. We may be reinforced. Like steel reinforces concrete. Like reinforcements strengthen an army in a time of battle. God prays, or Paul prays, that we would be reinforced. And perhaps this morning you're in a battle and you feel like you're at breaking point, but reinforcements are on the way, amen, through his glorious riches. You can stand strong and win the battle because his grace is at work in you. Amen? Amen. Well, let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning because the gospel is good news. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.